I was coaching baseball, and there was an utter lack of hustle. There was no drive and determination on the team. And I'd seen the team play, and our team was capable of so much more, and we were just not playing well. And I decided that what the players on the team needed was a pep talk. And so I channeled my, channeled my inner Lombardi, and I gave these gentlemen a pep talk for the ages. I talked to them about the fact that life is hard, and when challenges come our way, we have a choice. We can either roll over or we can fight. We can man up and we can face the challenges that we face. The life is not always going to be easy, and it's not always going to be fun. And I was feeling, and it was tremendous. And I looked out, and every face was blank. And uh, my wife, who was at the edge of the dugout, said, hey, Brian, they're in kindergarten. And uh, <clears throat> that's when I decided this isn't for me. I'm uh, not cut out to be a coach. We spent all day yesterday at a, a baseball tournament, and there were two city teams in the tournament and four tournament teams in the tournament. And uh, so the draw, we, we had three games, and our first two games were against tournament teams. And, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, just utterly, utterly destroyed. But a couple days before the tournament, my wife so lovingly signed me up to keep the official scorebook, which meant uh, because of the way our team was structured, I had to sit in the dugout and help the players get in their batting order and, and everything else. And so I got the, the firsthand, firsthand view of the just destruction that our, our team faced. I think we lost the first game 18-3. to three. Uh, the second game was something along those lines. And then in the third game, when we played the other city team, we actually won uh, 25 to 7. Uh, so it was, it was just a day of ugly baseball all around. And on our way home, uh, we, were, we were encouraging Ethan, our oldest, who, who played in the tournament, and he, he was great. And, and he, played, he played great games, and he said, Yeah, you know, we knew we were going to get destroyed, we knew what was coming. And when you have the right mindset in life, when you have the right mindset, it makes even the hard times more palatable. It makes them easier to experience. And today we're going to talk about making sure as people who follow Jesus, we have that right mindset as we continue our look at 1 Peter. And today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once you have it installed on your device, go to the events feature within the app and either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and their Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're going to be in the New Testament book of 1 Peter as we've been walking through 1 Peter for the last few weeks. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1 in just a second. And for those of you joining us on the stream, the verses will be available on the screen below as we continue our look at how to live our lives in challenging times in 1 Peter chapter 4. And here we read verse 1, which says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let me read that again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
right off the bat, we have to remember that Peter is writing this under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writing this to an audience who has had to flee their homes, had to flee their families, had to leave their lives behind. They've had to leave everything that they knew behind because they were followers of Jesus and they experienced persecution. And so they had to leave the lives that they knew behind and they had to become refugees. And throughout the book, Peter has reminded them time and time again to remember, to remember, to remember. And here again, he informs us to remember that Christ, Christ himself, he suffered in the flesh. That Christ himself suffered in the flesh. And so what we must do as people that follow Jesus and want our lives to emulate the life of Jesus, we must recognize that Jesus suffered. And so if our lives emulate Jesus, which they should as a result of us being followers of Jesus, then we are going to experience suffering as well. It makes no sense to think the very one we follow and model our lives after experience something, but we wouldn't have to experience that same thing. So as we emulate Jesus, as we become more and more like Jesus, we recognize that there will be suffering that happens as a result of that. And Peter says, arm yourself, defend yourself with this. Defend yourself with this knowledge that it's coming. Defend yourself by being, by being aware of what happened to Jesus, of what Jesus experienced. And the defense for us is to recognize from the outset that this is coming. And that forms a sort of protection for us because we get our mindset right. And we recognize, well, it happened to Jesus, so it's going to happen to us as well. And then we can become prepared. That we can become prepared. And he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That the more and more we become like Jesus, the more and more we leave the passions that we might have naturally behind, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute, the more and more that our lives look in it like and emulate Jesus, the more propensity there is going to be for us to experience ridicule, mockery, and legitimate suffering in the same way that Jesus did. And that's not to say that ridicule and mockery isn't legitimate. But we are going to experience the same things that our Savior and the one we emulate experienced. And the challenge oftentimes is just getting that into our minds and, and understanding that. To recognize that the, the call to follow Jesus means there will be times we're misunderstood. It means there will be people who don't understand us. It means there will be people who don't like the direction of our lives. And for us, from the outset, to say, even if we're misunderstood, even if other people don't like the direction of our lives, we choose to follow Jesus. And sometimes that will cause suffering. And to be aware of that and to arm ourselves with that knowledge so that we can build a protection for ourselves for what we're going to face. And he continues in verse 2 as he says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He says, You follow Jesus? Now emulate him. You follow Jesus. Now spend the rest of your life, spend the rest of your life living for God. Spend the rest of your life living for God. And that doesn't mean that you have to pursue a full-time career in ministry. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything, move overseas, and go be a missionary. It doesn't, it doesn't mean any of those things that sometimes we put in our mindset of, oh, this is what a life that's fully devoted to God looks like. 
No, it means every day with the avenues that we have available to us, where God has placed us, every day we live and we strive to make a difference that is better, to move people closer to Jesus, to, ex to express the love of God to everyone that we encounter, right where we are. Every day we recognize we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to serve those around us. We have an opportunity to fight for those who need an advocate. We have an opportunity to encourage the discouraged. We have an opportunity to support the widowed. We have an opportunity to go and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And later on today, we're going to show you even some more details. We've talked about the opportunity coming up that we're, we have right here in our community to be a visible representation of the hands and feet of Jesus as we're partnering with Habitat for Humanity right here in Algoma. And we are, we are take, we're working with them and taking over a, a property that's been donated to Habitat for Humanity. We're going to completely renovate that property. We're, you're going to see a video that has more details about that. That's just one avenue where we can, we can collectively come together and utilize the gifts and talents and abilities that people have and serve our community and serve people around us for the greater good. And when people wonder, well, why are they doing this? Why would people all collectively come together, volunteer their time, volunteer their effort? Sometimes people do that just because they want to do some good in the world. And yeah, we want to do some good in the world. And the reason that we want to do some good in the world is because we recognize that all good ultimately comes from God. He is the source of all goodness and he is the source of all love. And we want to be a tangible expression of God's goodness and his love to our community and the people around us. And Peter's just reminding the recipients, hey, you live your life every single day. You live your life. You make a difference where you are. And you do something better. You point people to Jesus every day. Live the rest of your life, the rest of your life for God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Some of you think the Bible's boring. Buckle up, right? I mean, and, and he says, this used to be you. It sounds like a frat party. He's like, but this used to be you. This is who you were. And some of you can relate. And some of you can relate because it's not used to be, but you're just kind of that perpetual college guy. Only now you're 50. And you're like, yeah, I'm the frat king. And everybody else is like, this is really sad. Like, you've never grown up. And you wonder, because there's no joy and there's no fulfillment. The excitement's gone. And what once was so engaging and exciting has now just become a mechanism to to numb the pain and it's just become who you are and what you do and you don't really even know why. It doesn't even bring you much joy anymore. Kind of bored with it. Some of you are, you're, this was you. It's, it's not you anymore. It was you. And, and you, you've allowed the enemy to come and build a prison around you because of some regrets because of some mistakes that you made in your life, because of some choices that you would do differently if you had to do it all over again, but you can't do it all over again. And so there's just that reminder that, that you live in this prison of a reminder of those mistakes, of those choices that you made. And, and you wonder, well, if, 
if people knew about this, what would they think about me? And if, if God knows about this, what can he really do with my life? Can he really love me? And the answer is yes. And he says, hey, this, this used to define you. This used to define you. And sometimes people follow Jesus for a really long time. And they see people who live this way, and they're like, oh, there's no hope for them. Forgetting about the transformation that God had to make in their own life. And, and this is just yet another example that we see from Scripture, that you're never too far gone. God loves you. That We all have a past. We all have mistakes. We all have a story. And God can use that story for his glory. He says, this used to be you. This, this was you. But, but no longer, no longer. As, as a result of the fact that you followed Jesus now, you have something better to look forward to. You have something better to look forward to. That doesn't mean that, that sex is evil. It doesn't mean that alcohol is horrible. It means that anything done outside of God's standards brings about destruction. And God has given us God has given us standards that we sometimes look at as being oppressive and restrictive, but ultimately they're a pathway that will lead us to the most fulfillment and the most joy we could possibly experience. Our society tells us, though, that those restrictions are meant to, to rob, us of, rob us of a greater fulfillment, to rob us of a greater connection. And just the opposite is true. And everybody at some point or another has, has believed those lies. And the hope for all of us is that that doesn't have to define us. That doesn't have to be who we are. Who we were doesn't have to be who we are. Now, we live in small towns around here, and so sometimes who we were is all people know us to be. But don't let the, don't let the knowledge of your past and don't let the opinion of others define who you are. It doesn't in God's mind. So don't allow it to in yours. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. So this, this used to be you. This used to be the way of your life. But it no longer is the way of your life. But it's still the way of their life. And so they look at you and they send you an invitation, hey, join us, and you decline the invitation and they don't understand why you would decline the invitation because for them, it's a feeling of fun, it's a feeling of connection, it's, it's a feeling of all of these things and there you are saying, no, I've experienced something that has greater purpose, something that has greater fulfillment than that, so I'm going to pass. They don't understand the choice that you make. And so what is their response? They malign you. They malign you. Oftentimes when you are misunderstood, it opens up a pathway to criticism. Oftentimes when people do not understand the choices and the decisions that you make, Rather than seek to really understand what drives your choices and what drives your decisions, they will instead just assume things about you. And their conflict can start. When you are misunderstood, when you are misunderstood, there will be people that do not like you. And Peter says, 
if you follow Jesus, if your life continues to look more and more like Jesus, if you emulate Jesus in your conduct, in the words that you speak, in how you live your life, if you follow Jesus, you will be misunderstood. And if you are misunderstood, there will be people that do not like you. And if you have people that do not like you, they will not keep it to themselves because they did not listen to their mother or their grandmother when they were told, if you don't have anything nice to say about anyone, don't say anything at all. And instead, they go to Twitter and tell the entire world unkind things about you. And Peter is saying, just be ready for it. And I know some of you are wired in such a way that you want to be loved and you want to be appreciated. And we're all wired that way. That we want to be loved and we want to be appreciated. But some people are more sensitive than other people. And for, for, some of, for some of you, you hear this idea that I might be maligned and I will be misunderstood. And that bothers you. That really bothers you. You're like, I'm not sure I want that. And I just want to encourage you, I don't think anybody wants that. Unless you're a media personality and then anything, any publicity is good publicity, so you don't really care if people hate you as long as they keep talking about you. It drives the ratings, so that helps you. But even then, behind the persona, I don't think there's any person that really wants to be misunderstood and wants to be maligned. And yet what Peter's reminding us, for those of us that follow Jesus, is as we follow Jesus, as we emulate him, in the same way that Jesus was misunderstood, in the same way that Jesus experienced suffering, we will be misunderstood and we will be maligned and people will say things about us. So you don't have to like it. but Be ready for it. And again, this is why it is so important that you do not find your worth in your value and how other people define you and what other people say about you. But instead, you define your worth and you find your value in who you are as an individual created by God in his image who loves you and values you and cares for you and knows every intimate detail about your life even the mistakes of your past, and still loves you and calls you to himself. As you follow him, understood that he was misunderstood and you will be misunderstood. That he was maligned and you will be maligned. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And, th and this is a reminder to us. First, it's, it's a hopeful reminder to us. And that hopeful reminder to us is those people that misunderstand us, those people that would malign us, those people that would conduct character assassination and anything else, all those people, everything they do is noticed by God and they will give an account for what they do. And so this is hopeful for us. And that this doesn't go unnoticed by God. He sees this. And he's taking note. And they will give an account. And it's sobering for us on the other hand. 
that we will all give an account before God. Now, make no mistake, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then when God looks at your life, what he sees when he sees your sin is not all of your sin. What he sees instead is the sacrifice of his son. But we will give an account for, the, for what we do. And on one hand, that's incredibly hopeful, especially as we keep in mind the fact that we will be misunderstood and we will be maligned. And on the other hand, it's sobering. For this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, Peter here is talking about dead, not, not being physically dead, but spiritually dead people. He's saying this is, why the, this is why the hope of Jesus was expressed to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who are far from God, who as we talked about earlier, or in the midst of the conduct that's described elsewhere in, in 1 Peter, as well as elsewhere in Scripture, people that don't really have any interest or any focus of Jesus in their life, who aren't really, aren't really following him, they're described here as not being spiritually alive, but as being dead, as being dead. And he says, this is why the hope of Jesus was expressed to those people. Right here, this is the reason why. The good news of Jesus was shared with the people who need to hear it so that they might experience life. Remembers elsewhere in Scripture, the transformation of somebody who's made the decision to follow Jesus is the greatest transformation that we could ever experience. It's, it's an individual crossing over from death to life. Being dead spiritually to discovering life and being made alive and being made new in Jesus through what he has done for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That we would experience that life. And then Peter goes on and he writes this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. It says, All the evil, all the evil you can hope for, all the evil you can imagine, it's all available. And we see it play out day after day after day. And our hearts break as we see example after example after example of this. We try to find solutions. We try to rein it in. But understand the best legislation, the best solutions that we can come up with will only do so much to rein in evil. It will not eliminate it. Peter writes, it's all there. It's all available. And our response as people that follow Jesus is that we need to be wise. We need to make wise choices. We need to be self-controlled. We need to be sober-minded. Be self-controlled and be sober-minded. We need to guard the ways that we think. We need to guard the ways that we live. In an era and in an age where everything is available to us and all the evil we could possibly want is on display and readily available. He says, be self-controlled and be sober-minded. And again, I just want to encourage you that if you think things are bad, they are, but it's always been this way. It's always been this way. A couple thousand years ago, when this was written for us, all evil was on display then. It takes different forms. It's easier to hear about now. 
but it's always been there. And the, the call for us is that we would be people who model our, in the way that we live our lives and in the way that we think and in the words that we speak, we would model Jesus. That we would be self-controlled in our conduct. We would choose wisely the choices that we make. We would be sober-minded. We would think clearly. We would think about the implications of our actions. We would think about the implications of our choices. That we would be self-controlled and sober-minded people. Why? For the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. This matters so much that God says, Hey, I want you to live consistent lives. I want you to think clearly. When you live inconsistently, I'm not going to pour out my blessing on your life. If your life is out of control, if you aren't being self-controlled, if you aren't being sober-minded in what you, in what you think about and, and where, where the places your mind takes you, he says your prayers are going to be hindered. I'm not going to pour out my blessing on your life. And I want to be very clear about something. For, for those that struggle with mental illness, that does not mean if, if there's an imbalance in your brain that there's something wrong with you spiritually. Our brains, like any aspect of our bodies, can become sick. Something can go out of whack. There is no shame in that. And it does not mean that you aren't spiritual enough or you don't love Jesus enough, that there's something wrong with you. We would encourage you to talk to a doctor openly. We would encourage you to pursue every avenue. What we're talking about here is a mindset where we are fixated on evil. We're fixated. We're not talking about intrusive thoughts that you can't control. We're talking about choices that you make. And what we have been called to be as people that follow Jesus is self-controlled people who are sober-minded. And God says, if you want to experience the answers to your prayers, not that God's going to give us anything we pray about if we live right, that's not the deal that he offers us. But he says, if you want to position yourself in the best way to experience blessing, this is how you live. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, love each other. Love each other. Above all of this, the best expression you can make to emulate Jesus is the love. Love each other. Love everyone you encounter. Love conquers all because the cross is the greatest definition of love you could ever hope to experience. You want people to know you're following Jesus? Love them. Love them. Love one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Love one another. Live in community. Live in community. Not as a, I have to, but I get to. I get to live in community. I get to be engaged in your life, and you get to be engaged in my life. This is what it looks like when the church functions as the way it should. 
that we support one another and we love one another and we're living, we're living in community, we're showing hospitality to one another without grumbling, that it isn't, it isn't something that we hate having to do, but it's something that we look forward to getting to do and we're excited about. And then he goes on and he really, really brings this home. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Love one another, live in community, show hospitality to one another without grumbling about the fact that you have to be involved and invested in one another's lives and serve. Serve one another. In every different way you possibly can, serve others. Serve others. He says, if you can communicate, then be a communicator. If you can serve, then be a servant. In all kinds of different avenues, in all kinds of different ways. This week, we, we bro- broke ground out back on the, on the fire pit and area that, that we're building, and, and we're excited about the project. It's been nothing uh, but a headache every step of the way, but we're excited, to, we're excited to get it started. And we decided, all right, well, they came up with the plans, and they're like, we need to, we need to dig down eight inches of topsoil in a 20-foot radius circle. I don't even know if radius and circle go together because I cheated through geometry in high school. That's another confession another time. Uh, but we're like, we don't want to dig that out with shovels, so what do we need to do? And it's to get a skid steer. And our first contact for a skid steer didn't have one, so we're like, all right, well, there went that. And then we said, hey, we know, we know of a place that rents and fixes equipment. So we called them and said, hey, we need to rent your skid steer. And they said, it's broken. And we're like, but you fix equipment too. So we, we just didn't, we're like, okay, whatever, that just... Maybe not go there if you need equipment fixed. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the name of it. Figure it out. So we hung up the phone there, and then we're like, hey, do we know somebody with a skid steer? We're like, yeah. We know somebody with, with, a, with a skid steer. He came up on Friday. Was tearing into the ground. I don't know how to operate that. And I'm certain you don't want me trying to operate that. <laughs> well that's community that's serving that's using a gift and ability to accomplish something that's for the for the greater community i i remember years ago my my wife and my wife and i were were still living in ohio we had the two young boys i was i was part of a church plant she was working full-time I, I was working as well, trying to get the church off the ground, and it was just after one of the most brutal services we'd ever experienced. We rented a movie theater, and it was one of those weeks where you look and you're like, I'm not sure if anybody's going to be here other than me and the band. Like, just brutal. We're like, where is everybody? And, and there were more people than just me and the band, but it, it didn't feel like it. I just remember being so discouraged, and I, I, I went home afterwards, and it, it stuck with me. It wasn't just like you preach a bad sermon, and it kind of ruins the rest of your Sunday, but by Monday, you're kind of over it. 
but this one, this one stuck with me for a couple days. Like, God, am, am I supposed to be doing this? Does this even matter? Why if why these people love the church? You know, just going through all those, all those questions of self-doubt in your mind and, and just wondering what, what is happening. And I remember out of the, out of the blue, the, the doorbell rings. And uh, my wife goes and answers the door. And I was upstairs, and there at the door was a, a friend of the family who was an encourager and somebody who, who was praying for the church, and I talked to him a little bit about the church, but he just hands my wife gifts for us to go out to dinner, to get the boys something. Why do I tell you that? Because you might think, I don't have any gifts that I can serve people. I don't ha really have any gifts where I can get involved in the church. And what I want to tell you is if you have a heart to encourage people, you have a gift. Find somebody who's down and go encourage them. If you know how to operate a skid steer, there's opportunities for you to serve people and to make a difference. And sometimes we can think, oh, well, serving the church means I have to go give a message or I have to be able to play in the band. And what I just want you to experience and what I want you to understand is, no, it doesn't. What it means is you use what God's given you. You emulate him. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And you can. You don't have to stretch yourself outside of your comfort zone even. Use what God has given you. And as you emulate him, you will make a difference in other people's lives. And it will make a difference in your life as well. God, I pray that we would be people that emulate you. pray that we would be people who recognize that as we do, we will be misunderstood and sometimes we will be maligned. I pray, God, for the person who's here and struggling in a prison of their own thoughts about their past. And I pray, God, that you would help them see themselves as you see them. And that what once defined us no longer must. I pray we would be prepared to be misunderstood. Not that it's going to be fun, but that we know it's going to happen. And that it would not discourage us but we would instead just remember that you are greater, that we would love, we would love all, because love covers a multitude of sin, that we would live in community and expectation and excitement, and we would serve however you've wired us, making a difference for you, Jesus.
Help us emulate you, we ask in your name.